The Law Report with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. On the show this evening, we'll be focusing on criminal law with attorney William Booth. William, good evening. Welcome back to the show. It's been a while. Good evening, Colin. It's great to be back. Well, we've received a few emails uh, since I said that William was coming on the show. And we'll deal with those first, and then we'll take your calls. But in the meantime, you can phone us, leave your name and number with my producer, and we'll call you back as soon as we're done with the emails. If you have any questions for us, you can call us now on 0892 10 2010-0892-10-2010. And before we begin, just a reminder, there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like any of those, post a message on Facebook. But please do remember to include your email address. Or if you don't have access to Facebook, email me on law at safm.co.za and I can send you a copy of the list and then you can choose what you want. We are all where we are because we came from somewhere. Migration is as old as humankind, therefore, you are, we are, and I am migrant too. Africa, let's unite and embrace the diversity within our communities. Violence is not the answer. Acceptance will teach us understanding, harmony, and kindness. Ubuntu has no borders, so say no to xenophobia and be an advocate for peace. Show your support for the Xenophobia Response Initiative by the SABC and the International Organization for Migration by making a donation. SMS Anti-Xeno to 36727. SMSs cost 5 rand. The Law Report with Karen Key. As I mentioned, you tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is The Law Report. My guest tonight is attorney William Booth, and we're focusing on criminal law. Any questions you might have, you can call us now on 0892-102010. Just have a few emails. Uh, the first one is from Mzwandile. It says, I would like you to give me a second opinion on adv- or advice on this legal matter. In brief, my matter is about my younger brother who died in police cells as a result of being beaten up by the police. This matter happened 10 years ago in 2005 and I reported the matter to the then ICD, which is now IPID. I was told that we as a family would get the post-mortem report, but instead I got a police docket and subsequent to that the ICD told me that there's still a toxicology report outstanding and that the post-mortem report could not be found because it was missing and they were still making strides to find it. I then got a lawyer who also tried to get both the post-mortem and the toxicology reports from IPID, but he was told that the toxicology report analysis is still being conducted at the National Department of Health. Now, the second opinion that I'm talking about is this. If I want to sue the police, what evidence will I need to have since, for instance, there is no post-mortem or toxicology reports and the people whom my brother was arrested with cannot be located since it's been 10 years since this matter happened? William? I think there's a problem because it's been a long time. And, you know, there's certain time limits with with regard to suing the state. And uh, 10 years is pretty beyond that period. Uh, you can always apply for condemnation if you can give good reason why you didn't put in the claim in sufficient time. Would it not help that he's been fighting this case since 2005? It seems to have been an ongoing thing with him and the family, the lawyer, and now he's got to the point where nothing, no one's doing anything, so right now I want to do this. Yes, no, obviously he can. And if the mm. court looks at it and says, look, these are justifiable reasons, they might very well allow him to put in the claim, even though technically it's, it's late and it's pres- pretty much prescribed. Um, I think one has to look at you know, the question is, you know, he's got the police docket. 
So let's just forget the toxicology report and the post-mortem report. There's got to be evidence linking some person or persons to his death. So uh, the post-mortem report is obviously important because it's got to be determined what was, what was the cause of death. Toxicology report might be important. I don't know what the circumstances um, were surrounding the death, but there's got to then be evidence. Um, the fact that somebody has died in police custody, that on its own may be sufficient evidence to uh, hold the police liable. I mean, the police cells, they're responsible, they're looking after the person. So one can, you know, even just on that, go, go to court with the matter. But certainly they've got to prove what, what caused his death. And that, if the police don't have it, or if IPA don't have it, then certainly it's got to be in the possession of the uh, Department of um, Health, uh, because uh, there would have been a post-mortem, there would have been a pathologist who dealt with it at the local hospital or, or the morgue. So that should be obtained. I find it rather strange that it's, that it's not mm. there. Now, he, he says the brother died in police cells as a result of being beaten up by the police. Would this be considered murder? Because I'm, what I'm asking you that is because is there a prescription on murder? No, there isn't a prescription on murder. But if we're talking about a civil claim against okay. the police, that's what I'm talking about. Right. Their prescription comes in. Okay. So you, you, you sue the police for damages because he was in police custody and, uh, you know, he died at that time. But if you are going to lay a criminal complaint or if a criminal complaint has been investigated, which seems also to be the case. There's no prescription there. But then you have to have evidence. So even if you've got a post-mortem report and a toxicology report, um, that may be significant in the case. But there has to then be evidence um, as to who did it. So that's a bit different to a civil mm. claim where you could sue the Minister of Police saying, you know, we don't know who did it, but he was in police custody, therefore you are responsible um, legally. But uh, you can't sue the Minister of police for murder in the sense of taking him to court well, yes. uh, charging for murder. You've got to take a specific police uh, officer to court but then there has to be evidence that mm. they actually did somebody specifically did beat him up and caused his death. Which they, I'm sure they won't admit at that point. Well no but there must be something in well, the police docket he's got the police docket so mm. I'd really like to know what is in it. Uh, you mm. know is there evidence from other police officers or maybe from people who were sharing the cells? Because he's saying that's the problem. The, the people his brother was arrested with now can't be found because yeah. it's been so long ago. Yeah. But there must be something in mm. there. So, you know, one would like to know what, what the report is from the, the then ICD, the now IPAD. They must, uh, they're obliged to submit some sort of report to him as to why this hasn't happened, why has nobody been prosecuted, and how, the, how have these reports gone, gone missing? Because, I mean, that's seriously gross negligence on the part of somebody. Absolutely. Right, we've got three more emails to go. So if you're wanting to call through now, 0892-10-2010, 0892-10-2010. William, this next one isn't really a criminal matter, but somebody asked, please to ask this. It says, what are my legal rights if a writer uses my name, family name, and explicit information in a book, which is having some serious implications, and it's all being done without my consent? Yes, look, Corin, that's more of a civil matter. Mm. So he could apply to the High Court for a restraining order. And, you know, these days with social media, so many people are commenting other, about other people. Gosh, yes, we did a whole program on social <laughs> media and the law not that long ago. It's quite dangerous to what you put it, out there. It is. And I think people should be careful because sometimes they come to court as witnesses and then they ask, well, hang on, you said this and this on social media. It's a bit different to your testimony in court. But, uh, you know, obviously there have to be restrictions mm. on it. And I'm not, I'm not an expert on social media. But, you know, again, if, if people on social media, go and say things about other people. You can apply for restraining orders. 
there was a recent incident, I think they actually approached the ombudsman with regard to the newspaper reporting about a prominent cricketer in South Africa. Mm. And, and, you know, the ombudsman actually found in his favour that the, against the newspaper the report was unfair. Um, so if you, if you want to stop somebody writing something bad about you, which is not the truth, then you can apply for a restraining order. Obviously, if it is the truth, then it's another matter because, you know, the public would like to hear the truth about whoever. So if, uh, you know, it becomes a bit of a tricky mm. kind of a situation, um, you know, you, I think it's dangerous going and apply for a restraining order when, in fact, whatever the person's writing might be correct. It might be, be something correct. you don't want people to know, but it could still be the truth. Yes. So you've got stuff there, basically. Right, Nelson says, I recently found out that I have a criminal record of which I'm not aware. It dates back to 2009 in June. I was never convicted nor charged in any South African court since I've been born, he says. Kindly advise what to do in a situation like this. I mean, that must be quite frightening. Suddenly you find you have a criminal record, you've never been convicted of anything, and now this is going to be sitting there looking at you that you have this criminal record. Well, it's happened quite a lot recently and interestingly enough there have been three high court decisions from the western cape high court one fairly recently with a magistrate the chief magistrate at weinberg uh, on sent a matter on review because he'd been receiving so many complaints where people go to police station and they then uh, pay an admission of guilt and they're not advised of what their rights are so so their son is locked up they want to get him out instead of the police saying hang on you can pay bail or we will release him and, you know, go back to court. You can pay an admission of guilt later. They go and pay the admission of guilt right at the police station. If he's been arrested, fingerprints taken, that is equal to a criminal record. And many people just pick up on this much, much later. And, uh, you know, now the courts are saying the police are forcing people to do this. They are not f complying with the Constitution and the uh, and, uh, an arrested person's rights in terms of the Constitution and obviously in terms of the Criminal Procedure Act. So I think he first has to establish what was his record. So he might have one unknowingly having paid an admission of guilt fine and uh, not knowing that that actually constitutes a criminal record. Absolutely. Now. And you can then apply oh, for that admission of guilt to be set aside. You have to approach the High Court and you can have it set aside. I've done quite a number of matters where it has, in fact, been successful. Or let's say... Uh, you've pleaded guilty in court. So it's not admission of guilt at the police station where you might have been placed under a misconception as to what was happening. But you go to court and you plead guilty. Uh, there are certain offences for which you can apply to have them expunged after 10 years. So, But he, he, he doesn't seem to know exactly what the offence is. No. And was it an admission of guilt set at the police station? Or did he appear in court in front of a magistrate? And you know, plead guilty in court. So, but in both instances, you can apply to have the that that conviction set aside after a period of ten years. I think it's a very important thing you've brought to our attention now. This admission of guilt, as you said, because your son's in jail, you want to go and get them out. You pay the fine, admission of guilt fine, and and they're out, not knowing that that now constitutes a criminal record. Absolutely, it happens to many people, and they don't tell you that. I'm assuming. Well, they are supposed to tell you, or maybe they say they tell you, but they often don't. And, and, you know, you're inside and your father's outside or your friend's outside and everybody wants to get out and it, it isn't a particularly serious offence. So the police must say, listen, this is an offence that you can get bail and we're going to fix bail. Or you can be released on warning and you can pay an admission of guilt, but much later on. Then you go out, you can go and see a lawyer, you can get proper advice and decide do you or don't you want to pay an admission of guilt, but the police try and force you right there and then to pay it, and they don't really tell you the whole, uh, you know, the whole scenario with regard to your legal rights. That, that, that was actually said 
not only by myself, but by, by many people, including magistrates, where this takes place. Now, this bail thing. But this, I think, could also be one of the other problems in the whole scenario is because if it's, it's a Friday night, they're going to say to you, well, you can't go to court to get bail until Monday. Can the police set the bail or do you have to wait to go to court on Monday? Depends what you're arrested for. If you're arrested for murder, uh, then you will ha unfortunately have to wait till the next time the court sits. Many years ago, the courts would sit over weekends. So even for murder, you can demand to go to court and, uh, you know, the state could come and oppose bail, but at least you could get into court. Now, magistrates will not sit over weekends um, for anything other than if, if it's a juvenile. But there are certain offences where, one, the police can fix bail, drunken driving, common assault, uh, fraud, theft for small amounts, or a little bit more serious where the prosecutor who's on duty over weekends or at night can fix bail. For example, possession of narcotics or fraud up to 20,000, theft up to 20,000 and assault, even culpable homicide. And then they must come out and fix bail. Obviously, they can say we're not going to fix bail if there's a warrant of arrest sure. against you or you, you, know, you clear a threat, you're going to go out and go and do the thing again. And uh, then you'll have to wait till the next day when the court sits or if it's a Friday uh, till, till the Monday. Do they tell you that you have these options? No, of course not. So you need to know this before, <laughs> heaven forbid any of you out there listening, get arrested. You need to listen to William now so that you know. First of all, signing an admission of guilt gives you a criminal record to Absolutely. start with. And secondly, if it's not a major offence, like you haven't murdered somebody, you can actually ask. Can you ask them to set the bail? Can you, uh, yes, you, of course you, you, you can. You or to, you can request that, the, that they get hold of a prosecutor. But you might not have a detective on duty. So what often happens is you're arrested at, uh, let's say, 9 o'clock, and they'll say, sorry, there's no detective on duty. We can't phone a detective. He's off till tomorrow morning, which is wrong because you're allowed to apply for bail immediately in respect of certain offences. So, you know, there's often those delays, and, and people don't know that if you're locked up, you can't kind of communicate too well with no. those outside. You're not even allowed that phone call. You're allowed to call your, your, your family. You're allowed to see your doctor. You're allowed to see a lawyer. But if you can't get the message through, then it you know, becomes a bit of a difficult situation. So that's why I say don't pay admission of guilt fines if you've been arrested. Look, if you get a traffic ticket, mm. I mean, I think you might have had some. I've probably got I've a lot. I've never ever had a traffic ticket. Actually, <laughs> well, I think maybe I had one. That's it. I well, mean, that's I'm very good. Amazing. I'm really terrified, actually. I think I've been arrested Really after a law-abiding law citizen. <laughs> but then your, your fingerprints haven't been taken. No. You haven't been locked up. No. So that means you can pay that and there's no criminal record. But if you've been arrested and you're locked up, doesn't matter if it's five minutes, fingerprints taken, and you then pay an admission of guilt, equals a criminal record. So there you say no, and you say, I want to be released on warning, I want to contact my family, and they will come and release me, you know, obviously arrange for you to be released on warning or to pay, or to pay bail. But the police don't tell you what your rights are. So we need to know all of this before we get arrested. Absolutely. I'm locking myself in my Absolutely. house. I'm not going out again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too terrified now to go anywhere. So we just need to know all of that. So all of you listening out there, I hope you're taking note of this because it's very important because we could as we end up like Nelson, who's suddenly got a criminal record, which he's not aware of, dating back, he says, to 2009. He was never convicted or charged, he says. So, I mean, there could be anything. I mean, it's... And it he says he's never been to court. Well, never been charged in court. So then maybe that was an admission of guilt. Maybe. But he can find out if he goes to his local police station and applies for a police clearance. Then after a month or two, then he'll get the police clearance and he'll see exactly what oh, is right. the offence and when it was. And then you can apply for the um, for the expunging of your of your of your criminal record or 
um, you know, you can apply to the high court and say, listen, I didn't know I was paying an admission of guilt. I'm not guilty. Uh, you know, I, I didn't commit the crime. And many people suddenly find out when they're applying to travel overseas, they want a visa. Yes. Picking it mm. up suddenly comes out, pops out it of the woodwork. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then then they need to do something about it. And they say, well, I actually didn't know I've even got it. So it's not he's not a first to say that. Right. Well, the scary stuff. Right. Malcolm says, if someone provokes you and you punch them, do you have any defense? Well, but if they've attacked you, yes. And so but provocation, does that count as, as well, attacking you? <sighs> You I mean, know, provocation could just be words. Well, it could be, but it depends. It's very difficult to just say, well, you know, you need to know exactly mm. what happened. So it's difficult to say in general. Provocation isn't on its own usually sufficient for you to go and attack somebody else. So in other words, somebody comes to you and swears at you and take a gun and shoots them. That's, you know, that's you, a bit you, over the top. Yeah, yeah. You, can't, you, can't do, you can't do that. Um, I think even Oscar went realized that. But if somebody's <laughs> swearing at you, so, and in your face, and you smack him once, that could be justifiable conduct. So, you know, again, it depends on the specific facts of, of the case. Or if somebody's coming at you with his fists, and you get in first, you know, kind of the, the fight that happened mm. the other day, yeah. and, and you punch him, even though he hasn't hit you, he's come at you to attack you. So, it's so like the defense Yes, there's danger or imminent danger. And, you know, you've got to kind of balance the one up against the other. And, you know, even if somebody attacks you with their fists, in some instance, you can actually kill them. Let's say it's the, the heavyweight champion of the world and he's coming at you with a whole lot of gangsters behind him. And, uh, you know, you don't know what's going to happen next. And you haul out your firearm and you warn them and they come at you and you fire. That could also be regarded as justifiable homicide. I'd rather not, though, but yes. <laughs> so Malcolm, Stay yes. at home. Yeah, that's what I said. I'm staying. I'm going home and I'm not coming out again. Malcolm, so basically, yes, if someone provokes you, it depends on what the provocation is, and you punch them, there are certain cases where you might have a claim of, def of self-defense. Yes, absolutely. Not in every case, though. No, but as I said. depending on what the provocation is. Yes. Right. Let's go to the lines. Okay. Oh, somebody's just asked, what if they call your wife name? Somebody's just called in and asked that. And, and they say bad things about your wife. Can you punch somebody? <laughs> well, look, again, it depends. You know, how bad is it? Yeah. Uh, how Were they in your face? Were they coming at you? And it depends what you do. Mm. You know, Defending you, a, your wife's honor, you see. That's well, what the men would think. I think. But, if, you know, let's say a smack to the face. Mm. Maybe justified in that particular instance. But if you, you know, punch the guy a couple of times. And or knock him out. That's knock him out no. or haul out a knife and stab him. That's obviously you've gone beyond what you're entitled okay. to do in self-defense. Right. As I said, it depends on the circumstances. Right. If you have any questions, the number is 0892102010. 0892102010. Lawrence in Umtata, good evening. Yes, good evening. How are you? Very well, Lawrence. How are you? Fine. Thank you very much. How can we help you, Lawrence? Uh, the, the question that I have is, I'll just give you a scenario. I was working at the store and I was dismissed for gross negligence. And now I come to the store to shop and now I'm told that I shouldn't come to the store. So what... What is my right on that and what must I do? Because now I'm no longer an employee of this particular shop, but now I'm a customer, but I'm chased out of the shop. 
It's not really a criminal issue, but... Um, no, it's not, yeah, but, I, but it's I think... It's a criminal issue, but I, I need a legal... A okay, legal Lawrence, okay, William's going to try and answer it, you. Hold it, on. It becomes criminal if you punch the shopkeeper mm. because you cross. Now, I think, look, shops can actually decide who come, comes in or not. I the mean, right of admission reserve Absolutely, thing, yeah. yes. So they can decide, you know, uh, on, on, on certain instances. But um, it, it actually raises quite an interesting point because, you know, as a member of the public... What rights yes. do you have going into a shop? Is it not a public area yes. where the public in general have access to? But yes. uh, and again, it dis, you know it also depends what the decision was in the labour inquiry where you were dismissed. I mean, did they tell you certain things afterwards? Were there conditions attached? Uh, no, not. No. Well, I think you must. In fact, in actual fact, the the matter is still uh, lying at CMA. It's not. It's not solved yet. Your matter's not solved. Well, then I yes. then I then I think you're quite entitled to go in there. But again, just remember that uh, every shopkeeper has the right to decide who can enter their premises. I mean, they usually will invite everybody to come in because they want them to buy buy yes. goods. But let's say it's an instance where somebody's gone into the shop and he's stolen, and then he's left and come back and stolen. And then he comes back a third time. You know, in those instances, I think the shopkeeper would be justified to refuse entry to the to the person. Well, maybe you must write to which the is, and complain. Which is not the case. Which mm. is in this case is not the case. I didn't steal. I, I didn't steal anything. There was gross negligence. I just come yes. to buy, yes. and I have been buying there for the past nineteen years. Well, if it's still at the CCMA, maybe you must uh, approach them and and ask them. Uh, for a, a decision on this particular point. In the meantime... Where, where the, else can I go besides going to them? Is well, the human rights the relevant place? Mm, probably not. Maybe the best is to go to a lawyer. The lawyer can then write a letter to the general manager of the store and just find out exactly from them why they are not allowing you access. And then, depending on that, decide whether it's an instance to go to the CCMA or maybe to go to court to get some sort of court order uh, to allow you access. Otherwise, go and shop somewhere I else. I was about to ask you, Lawrence. <laughs> Lawrence. No, I don't want to shop somewhere else. I want to shop there. But Lawrence, because, let me ask you. If they don't allow me to go, then, then why do they allow other people to come? Yeah, but Lawrence, let me ask I, you I'm this. I'm not different from the other people. I'm the same. Absolutely. But Lawrence, let me ask you this. If they are yes. treating you so badly at the shop, I mean, I know that if I went into a shop and somebody was that bad, the service was that bad and they was that mean to me, I would go and find somewhere else to go and spend my money. I wouldn't want to spend it with people who were just not nice. Why do you keep on supporting them or wanting to support them? No, because because I just want to buy there. I, I can't understand why I should be traced or why I should be uh, asked to go away. I think you want to well, make... I spent my it's money, for the, money for, for the past 19 years. Why all of a sudden now? Mm. Yeah, it's a well, matter of principle with you, I think, William. Uh, and, Lauren, sorry. It is, my, it is my right because the shop is open. It's open to everybody. So nobody can, can say to me, I should really be coming. Well, yeah. I think you must go Otherwise, to a lawyer. The person must close the shop. Lawrence, go to a lawyer. You can write a letter to the... Uh, manager. manager or general manager of the shop or the of the bro or whatever it, whatever shop it is, or maybe even get it out into the newspapers, and they'll they'll probably allow you. Yeah, back, exactly. Back that, that is what I, I I told them. In mm. fact, I wrote uh, an an email to the to the customer service and to the chairman of the company, and I told them that uh, if they don't 
uh, respond to this complaint, then I will take the matter to the human rights or and also to the media. Okay, well, and then I'm sure the media will be interested to find out why in this country there is a place that nobody, a person cannot be allowed to go in. Well, you take it up, Lawrence. Why don't you get back to us once you sold it and tell us what happened, okay? Okay, thank you very Thanks. Much. Good luck to you, Lawrence. Good night. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Right, come to Cape Town. Lingani, good evening. Lingani, are you with us? Hello, Lingani. No, Lingani seems to have disappeared. We'll have to try and get him back. I don't know what happened to him. Um, can I just ask you a question? We, we've got the Oscar Pistorius thing coming. I saw it on the internet yesterday. Coming up for parole in August. What exactly are we looking at when we look at parole? I mean, he there's still this part of it still pending. I mean, there's an appeal that's still waiting to happen. What happens if he gets out on parole? I was trying to figure out what parole is all about. Well, okay, look, he, he's been placed under correctional supervision. Mm. It's a type of correctional supervision where he has to go and serve the, the at least 10, ten months. months. But then he can be released also under correctional supervision. So there's certain requirements that he has to comply with house arrest even when he comes out, uh, reporting, doing certain uh, programs and all of this sort of thing. You know, they have certain requirements. But the appeal to the Supreme Court of Appeal hasn't been heard no. yet. So, you know, we need to know how, you know, what's the delay. But they're probably getting the whole record together, have it all typed. I mean, that can take a hang of a long time. And they have to then file heads of argument, both the state and the defense. And the matter then will be heard at some stage in front of the Su- Supreme Court of Appeal uh, in Bloemfontein. So if they change the conviction, if the Supreme Court of Appeal upholds the uh, state's appeal, then they can relook at the sentence. So he might come out, find himself then sent the conviction changed to murder and not culpable homicide anymore, and they would be entitled to revisit the whole issue of sentence. So he might find himself back in again after he's come out. Yeah, because no, the parole thing, I mean, you find people being get out on parole, out on parole, and they, a lot of times, not a lot of, all the time, but a lot of the time, they will go and commit the same crimes they did before they went in in the first place while they're on parole. That happens in many instances. Mm. In fact, um, I think recent, now with the case in Port Elizabeth, I think one of the people yes, who'd been arrested right, yeah. was actually, I don't know if he was out on parole or he had been uh, arrested for remember. a similar type mm. of offence and, and, you know, he was released on bail. So that's why the state has to be very careful. And if they're releasing somebody on parole or correctional on supervision, they, they must set requirements and they must make sure those requirements are adhered to by the person who's being released. So there's got to be a follow-up. There's got to be supervision. Is there? Well, you know, I spoke to some guys at the prison to, at Polesmore today. I went to see a client of mine. And, and they said, unfortunately, there is problem with the supervision. There's just not enough... Uh, staff to kind of ensure that these conditions are complied with. And that is actually quite sad because, you know, one wants to see the parole system working properly. People are released back, reintegrating into the community. The correctional supervision system working, that the people who are under correctional supervision are actually complying with the conditions set by the courts. So if that's not working, the whole criminal justice system starts crumbling. So the Department of Correctional Supervision, uh, rather Correctional Services, should make sure that they've got enough staff and trained and are, you know, supervising properly. Otherwise, you know, where are we going to go to with the sentencing situation? I know, and the prisons are being overflowing. 
Um, and there would, would, would the, some of the less bad crimes, if you know, for want of a better term, would, if they went out on parole, would probably be a good thing. They could become productive and support themselves or support their families or whatever. But <clears throat> it's, it's that you know supervision that's the problem. Yes, absolutely. And I think you know the petty crimes they should be released sooner. Or maybe the court should not be sending people to prison for those petty crimes. There are so many different options. I've said throughout. Over many years, you know, courts need to be a bit more proactive, inventive. If you look at the United States, uh, the United Kingdom, different sentencing. And unfortunately, here, they don't send people to prisons where they will allow you out over weekends mm. sufficiently or you can go home at night and go back again. You know, and again, they say, well, we can't, you know, we can't supervise that kind of situation. And I don't think our courts are really being inventive for want of a better word, with regard to the sentences that are being imposed for people who are not dangerous, for people who are unlikely to to uh, re, you know, re-offend. There's been a lot of talk lately about fathers who don't pay maintenance and they were looking at arresting them and there was talk about putting them in prison over weekends. And all. I was like, where? You know, there's no space. Uh, there is no space. <laughs> what and are they going to do? I mean, I don't, I don't agree with men not paying maintenance. Don't get me wrong. But what are they going to do with them? They can't put all of them in jail over the weekend. Well, if they're all in jail over the weekend, they're not going to be able to work. So rather encourage them to be working over the weekend, sit in a better system, and sending them to jail. I mean, how's that going to They can work help? during the week, apparently, but then on a Friday night they go to jail and get let out on a Sunday night. Yes, but still, you know, the, the employer might want them to work over yeah. weekends <laughs> and they're stuck in the chicky. That's not going to help them getting work. the money no. together. Right. KB in Johannesburg, good evening. Good evening. Um, I've got a question for William. Certainly. Um, I want to know uh, what are the... Ch- okay, this is the scenario... My, my sister has been assaulted by her husband that she lives with. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a serious assault. Of, she had an eight-hour op- operation because she broke her cheekbone. Yeah. Um, but then, obviously, she's planning on moving out there. They're, they're going to separate and all that. But she has not reported um, the case at the police station because she, she fears him, obviously. And um, we just, obviously, we know that we could also open the case as, as a family, but we we are stuck because we obviously cannot guarantee her safety. And so we just don't know. We are in this dilemma of what, what we need to do. Well, KB, hi, good evening. Um, well, look, obviously, a lot of it depends on, on her and what she wants to do. You can't force anybody to move out of, out of, out of the home. It's a decision that she must make. And you also can't force anybody to go and lay a criminal complaint. But, I mean, if it's a serious offence, as you've described, then surely she must, first of all, move out, come and live with family, go to the police, lay a complaint, and ensure that the police do the necessary. She also has the right, in terms of the Domestic Violence Act, to go to a local magistrate's court and apply for a restraining order in terms of that act. And she'll get an interim restraining order, and then after a period of time, it can become a final order. That then prevents him having any contact whatsoever with her. In other words, going to see her, uh, coming nearer, phoning her, having any type of contact. In fact, you can even request the magistrate to, that, that you remain in the home, or r- rather that your sister remains in the home, and that her husband not have any access to the home Pending the finalisation of, of the matter. But, it, it, you know, it boils down to what her decision is. You know, if she wants to stay with him, 
I think that's heading for serious trouble. So she's got to make that decision to move out, lay the criminal complaint and go and, um, to the magistrate court and, and, and lodge a complaint in terms of the Domestic Violence Act. And if they do get a restraining order, if he violates that order, he, she can have him arrested? Absolutely. She'll have a warrant of arrest with her. And uh, particularly with a serious case like this, magistrate will issue the interim order and uh, issue a warrant of arrest. She'll then go to the police if he contravenes the order. And uh, then, you know, then, then he can be arrested. Does that sound like it could be of some help, KB? Well, she has made a decision to move out. We're actually helping her move out um, during the course of this week. But the issue for her is just that even if she moves out, she, you know, he has and knows where she works. So what if he, he comes to her and, and we've deliberated on the whole thing, of course, restraining orders and everything. But she maintains that will all those things stop him from doing anything to him. So I don't know whether it's a matter of really maybe she's just not ready to open the case. Well, look, I think or, she, she again, she needs to make that call. But if mm-hmm. you get a restraining order, you've got a warrant of arrest. So if he does anything contrary to the order, he can be arrested immediately. And if he's arrested on, a, on an assault or attempted murder charge, it sounds like me, it's more attempted murder than assault, then what... And if he does get bail, because then you can request that the the prosecutors oppose bail. But if he gets bail, that conditions are set, that he has no contact with her, doesn't come to her home, the home or the work. And if those conditions are contravened, he can immediately be arrested. So you, if you put in place all those kind of um, conditions and you know place it under that kind of situation, you know that will ensure that um, you know doesn't come nearer. But then again, I suppose. It's always difficult. Anybody can do what they really want to. Um, but I think that's the, at least the route that she must go and set in motion all these uh, very stringent conditions. Okay, okay KB, okay. good luck to your sister. All right. Thanks all right. for your call. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good Bye. luck to you. Bye-bye. Right, we're going to see if Lingani is back with us again in Cape Town. Lingani, are you with us now? Lingani? Yes, ma'am. Oh, hello. There you are. Have you got your yes. radio on? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, have you got your radio on, Lingani? <laughs> my radio is off. Okay, fine. All right, what is your question? No, it's not necessarily a question. I just wanted to make a comment with respect to what Mr. Booth said earlier on mm-hmm. at the beginning of the program. Okay. With respect to prescription. Yes. What I wanted to say was merely to correct my, my very old mentor advisor and an expert in the field. Can you hear me? Yes, we can, Lingani. We're listening. Yes. To say that in actual fact, it was very incorrect for Mr. Booth to say that once a matter is prescribed, you are still a face court. Once a matter is prescribed, you cannot approach any court of law to ask for condemnation. Solely because prescription is a matter of legislature, it has been legislated, and there is no code of law that can promote or that, that can condone prescription. William? This goes back to the doctrine of separation of powers, <laughs> in the sense that Parliament legislates laws, courts must interpret and apply the law as it is. A court can therefore not condone that which the legislature has already legislated on. Okay, Lingani, let William. That, that is simply what I wanted to say. Okay, thank you, Lingani. With due respect, to, to, to my to my old mentor, my, my my father and everything else to me. <laughs>
<laughs> I, I thought I recognised the uh, name when, and the voice when it came up. Good evening. Listen, uh, well, look, I, uh, I, I suppose we can always differ on these kind of issues. But I think pretty much the case we described earlier, uh, you know, it has prescribed. It was 10 years ago. Um, and anybody can approach court and at least attempt to try and... Uh, resurrect the matter and say, well, look, you know, these are the reasons. But it's 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 a very tough, tough call. And I think, you know, the the request was really why the police weren't investigating mm. the murder. I mean, I think the person is more interested in Lingani just, uh, you know, getting getting somebody arrested for causing the death. And, you know, there is no prescription when it comes to murder. So I think there, there you must agree with your mentor and your father. <laughs> Okay, Lingani. Well, thanks for bringing that up. Interesting point. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks. Good night. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> you, you obviously taught him at some point? or <laughs> Yes, well. No, no, I do know him. Oh, I know him. Okay, yes, yes, all right. Yes, yes. Right, Eric uh, in King Williamstown. Good evening. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Hi, Eric. How are you? I'm fine, and you? Good, fine. Thank you. How can we help you, Eric? Yeah, I'm middle of your issue because I'm just arriving in the house now. Okay. I want to just ask more things about foreign national, because I'm a foreign national in South Africa. Okay. I'm here almost nine to ten years. I want to know about our life in the country against the immigration. Okay, we're not... Immigration re- was... Hello? Yeah, um, Eric, we're not really talking immigration. I don't think William is happy I'm, to... I'm, to- I think it will come to the way that people should go to the south or the jail or whatever. Oh, right, okay. Mm. okay. Yes, something like that. Because it would be like immigration was arrested us to the police station for maybe Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. We'll have to just consult uh, the court and the court will approve. You have the credit paper. Your papers is good. You know yourself that your papers from the home office and something like that. But it doesn't just take us to the home of uh, the court and whatever, wasting our time in the police station and the jail after that, then they will take you to Mandela. When they will take you to Mandela and then you meet a minister of the Home Affairs and then they will consult you and then you discuss everything, they will see that, okay, you have the proper papers, you're supposed to go out. So something like that, what uh, uh, law it will just protect you, the foreigners in the country, in terms of they will just delay our time, and our everything in terms of the girls and some other things. And, and um, Eric, you're telling me that this is even when you have the right papers and everything? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, um, I know it happens. Mm. Uh, I know the Department of uh, Immigration officials come rushing in and arrest people who are, uh, you know, born in other countries, but in fact have their, have legitimate permits. Um, and it, in, in practice that does happen. And I think it's a, it's a total disgrace because they should allow the to check the system properly first. You can't just rush in and arrest somebody for no reason. So you know the fact is that they believe this person uh, is is a foreign national. They have a, they have a duty to make sure that that in fact he has or has not got as a fact uh, permission to be in the country. So you know detaining somebody. You can't detain somebody to investigate the situation. You must um, investigate it straight away. You can't keep them in custody for three days and say, hang on, we want to make sure that this person is legitimately in the country. 
They have, they have a system. It should be on their system. So they should be able to check that immediately. And if they don't, I think this is a clear case for taking legal action against the Department of Immigration, Home Affairs, and suing them. And I think if there are more cases like this, because you know, in my mind, they're actually one of the worst departments in South Africa. Well, and they'd be taken to court time and time again, and usually they don't comply with the, the orders of the court. But I know somebody who was actually picked up in a raid in here in Cape Town um, and arrested for being a foreign national. Um, and the reason he was arrested was he had a photocopy of his um, papers on him because yes. he had the original refugee status papers for, somewhere else for safekeeping. But because he didn't have the original on him, only had the photocopy, which had been stamped by the police as a valid copy of the thing, still arrested him. No, no that's no basis. No. They should then at least go with him to his home and say, produce the original certificate or check up on their system. I mean, really, we are uh, hopefully a computerized country. One would think so. And, and uh, you can't just rush in and, as I mm. say, can't in rush arrest and then investigate. Do your investigation first. It's not like somebody's seen robbing a bank. I mean, obviously, there you can go and arrest the person. You've just seen them committing a crime. But here, the mere fact that the person looks to be a foreigner doesn't mean to say he's illegally in the country. So I think they need to get their act together because there have been so many complaints, mm. as uh, Eric has mentioned now, and, and I think it, it, it is really a disgrace. And that causes a lot of tension in the public. I think also the problem is that when these people are arrested, they're a little bit scared probably to cause any drama by saying, excuse me, but you can't do that because then they'll just get locked up for longer. Absolutely. And, can be, and they become victimized. Absolutely. So, you know, I think it's also it's the type of person in the Department of Home Affairs. The standards have dropped. The, the, the training isn't there anymore. They need to know what the law, and often they don't. It becomes, a, you know, it's kind of, well, we're just out there to get people. And, and the majority of the people that they arrest are, uh, are innocent people who are actually just trying to earn a decent mm. living. Eric, sorry about your situation. It's yeah. not pleasant like, at like all. Like the way I'm talking about uh, 2012, 2011, September 9th. The Grishins came to my workplace. I have this, this man's baby in my, my side. The mother was just traveled to Johannesburg for the business. The Grishins came to me to the, my old workplace. The client and the workers, a lot of the people, that day was Friday. They came to me and said that they want to see my papers. And I showed them, like the way you are talking about that attempt is the copy. Mm. I was just sending my passport to the... Korea embassy for the visa at the moment. So they asked me the original passport. I told them that they get to the Korea embassy. They told me that, okay, let's go to our office and go and check the permit. If the permit is fine. I know myself that the permit is fine. Migration picked me and my son, who was this month that time, to the migration van to go and put me from 11 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock in the evening. After that, they said that they want to take me to the jail. I said, what, how come to take me to the jail? The people is fine. They doesn't tell me anything. So they say that they want to take my baby from me. I said, no, if you want to take me to jail, take me to police station and write after David and let me know the place where my son is going before I will leave the son. They didn't accept. They bring the two police and they come to force me to my baby and take my baby. They put me on the jail the day I'm talking about on the 9th. The next day, they take me from there, from that, the cell jail to the main jail. I was there for four days, five days before I was getting the lawyer. When the lawyer came and said that, okay, take the guy to the court the next day morning. In the midnight, two o'clock, they handcuffed me and put me alone inside the van from Eastern Cape to the Potation Cup in Johannesburg. 
they doesn't make me know, to know the reason why they was arrested me. When I'm there and the minister of the Home Affairs make me for my interview to know that they say that I'm not staying with my wife. I say, how come that I'm not staying with my wife? They didn't ask me anything, something like that. They say that, okay, bring your wife, they will raise you. My wife came to show affidavit, everything to show that I'm the wife of her. Almost eight or six years she was married. From there, I'm talking about I was there to deportation calf until 73 days before they was raising me out. When I came and business, my everything set up. Now I'm talking about I don't have anything. Sure, country. Eric, um, it's, it sounds like an horrendous story. It's really not, not nice. And unfortunately, the sad thing is that you're not alone in that. I think there's a lot of people out there that are sitting with the same problems that you're facing. And I wish you much happiness in this country. I hope that uh, things will turn around for you and uh, things will get better. But thank you very much indeed for getting through and telling us your story this evening. Thank you very much. Thank you, Eric. Good night to you. Right, back to Cape Town now. Teresa, good evening. Hi, good evening, Corin. Good evening, William. Um, I have a, an estate matter. Corin? Yes, I'm listening. It's, it's oh, we're dealing with, we're dealing with okay. you. I have an estate, estate matter. I'm an heir out of four heirs. Yeah, Both that, my parents, of course, passed away. Teresa, let me just ask you something. Is this to do with estate planning or, or inheritances and wills and things? <laughs> oh, I, I can't hear you. Is this to do with wills and estates? That's correct. Okay, because we're dealing with criminal law tonight. I believe so, and that's my question I asked you, gentlemen who answered, if, um, you know, they would actually speak to me about um, estate. No. Teresa, I tell you mm. what, on the show next week, we've got Nicolene skuman Lowe, and that is her passion, is estates and estate planning and wills and things. So we've, <laughs> got, we've got your name and your phone number, because we took it down when, we, when you called in. Uh, sure, what what sure. we'll do, we'll keep that number, and if you like, we'll call you next, next Monday when we're doing the show with her. And you can speak to her. I appreciate that because let me also just mention I have, you know, sent correspondence to um, um, SA, sorry, the Law Society. Oh right, okay. Um, several, and they have, you know, responded. Okay. And um, yeah, I, I wasn't very successful with their responses, um, you know, at the end of the day. Okay. Because at this moment, I am still waiting on um, on correspondence from from um, you know one of their staff members. Okay, Teresa, we'll so, we'll call yes. okay, we'll, we'll call you next week. Then, okay. And then um, I will speak to her next week. All right, it'll be great. We'll call you then. Thanks, Teresa. Good night to you. Right, let's go head off to KZN now. Angela, good evening. Hello, good day. Hello, how can we help you, Angela? Um, I just want to find out, um, I have like a criminal case against me. This is to do uh, with a, with our dog. We live on a plot just out of town, and um, my dog was in the garden with me, and there was a boy walking up the road, and he barked at this boy, and I told him just to stand still, the dog won't do anything. And then when I jumped up to call the dog away, he obviously ran and jumped over the fence. And as he jumped over the fence, the dog um, got hold of his trousers. And, of course, these people took me to court. And um, after the third day, they found me, um, they ha- I had a criminal case against me. So um, I still feel it was all, it wasn't fair whatever happened there. But, um, I mean, first time in court, I'm... And um, now I've got this case against me, um, and somebody mentioned that I can go after, is it five years or ten years, um, to have this case um, um, squashed, or how can I call it? Expunged. Yes, yes. Yes, Angela, hi. Um, Yes, no, definitely you can. We were just chatting about this earlier on in the program. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, depends how how long ago was this? Um, I think it was probably four or five years ago. Five years ago. All right. Um, there are certain offences that will automatically fall fall away. Uh, and mm-hmm. there are others that you have to apply to to have them expunged. Okay. But it, it, it's a period of 10 years. Oh, uh, sure. mm, So if you've been found guilty in, in a court, you were convicted and after evidence was led, it sounds like that is the situation, then oh. you'll have to wait that period of time and then apply for it to be expunged. You can approach the state president for a pardon if you okay. want to, but okay. that's also quite... Uh, a process a and uh, yes, a bit of a mission, and they will probably turn around to you and say, "Well, you know, apply after the the lapse of the of the ten year of the okay, ten year okay. period." It's quite it's quite long. I thought maybe it was only like five years or something. Yeah. Was no. the yeah, child was injured, deep. Angela? Was the child hurt, was the child hurt in this attack? I, I, to me, he wasn't. You know, he jumped over the fence, and I looked at his leg. It was um, yeah, an adult. You know, adult yeah. male. Yeah. And um, I asked him, and I looked at his leg, and it had looked just as if it had chafed from the stones, you know, from the the brick wall that he had jumped over. The other but of thing- course, um, I had an mm. issue um, before with with the owner next door mm. to us, and of course, this was how he tried to get me back. You the know, other thing, uh, obviously, Angela, if you feel you've been wrongly convicted, even though there has been this time lapse, you, time lapse, yes. you can um, take the matter on appeal. That's what they said to me, and I thought, well, after all, the, I thought after all these years, you know, it was they really went. I don't know, you know, it was quite a story, because um, they wanted to come out and have a look and see uh, where we live and what it looked like mm. and all that, and all of them, the, the magistrate, the public prosecutor, the talker, they all, and I had the public legal. Uh, Sorry, yeah, the, the um, government legal aid guy. And even that guy went together with them in the car to this place. And I was left all by myself. So I just feel things just didn't go right. And they said to me, I can appeal. But, of course, me being an elderly lady, and I'd never been in court before, I just found it was all, it was so wrong. And then, uh, you know, I sort of like went and asked, a private lawyer, what can I do? He says, oh, even if you appeal, it can cost you lots and lots of money. Rather, just leave, leave it, you know, leave it lie. Um, but up to this day, I'm still very upset about the whole story. <laughs> well, maybe you shouldn't have let it lie. You know, you can always come to an agreement with a lawyer on the, on the fees that a private lawyer charges. So it's a pity you haven't done that. You can still consider it, but with the time lapse, the High Court might not... Uh, allow the appeal in the sense you've got to then apply for condemnation, you've got to apply for leave to appeal, and there's quite a quite a process. It's always better to try and do it uh, sooner than mm. later. But you can mm. st- you still have a right of appeal, so maybe you should relook at it and get some money together and go and see the lawyer again or another lawyer and, and get so some. Otherwise, wait five years more and, and then uh, apply to have it expunged. Yeah. Oh, Angela, I'm sorry to hear about all of that, um, but good luck to you. Thanks for the call. Good night to you. Bye bye. -bye. Just got time to squeeze in one more call. Harold in Hermanus. Good evening. Good good evening. Hello, Harold. How can we help you? Yes, Harold. I was assaulted on the tenth of January this year, and then I opened a case to the police station from where I'm staying. Since then, I didn't get any response to them. They gave me the inspector who was going to come to to investigate my case. Sorry, Harold, I missed out what the case was. What what was the problem that you went to report? 
I was assaulted you were in assaulted. my house. Okay. There was a criminal who came into in, inside my house, and then I don't know they were trying to do a breaking. Then then they damaged me, and then they said I was having a fracture on my head. And then I went to the police station and opened the case. And then the police they said they're gonna come, but I see the guy who did that to me. They are just walking around. I didn't get any response to them. When did this happen, just, Harold? Pardon? When did it, the assault happen? It happened on the January, 10th this, January. This year? This year. Okay. 10th January 2015. I do have the case number with me. Okay. So, so, so basically the police haven't been around to question. And you say the guy that broke in and that assaulted Sorry? you, you know who it is, this person? So I didn't get any response no. to, the, to, the, to, to the police, to the inspector. Whom, whom you gave me the case number. Okay, Harold, do you know the person that actually assaulted you? Do you know who that person is? Harold? Oh, he's disappeared. Okay, well, we've lost Harold now. Um, well, just quickly, I think yeah. uh, if he's listening or some friend of his listening, I think he should then go to see the commissioner of the police station in Amarnas and complain about the lack of attention his case is getting. And if he doesn't get any, doesn't doesn't receive any kind of uh, proper feedback, he can go to the uh, the, the senior state prosecutor, mm. and they will investigate the matter. Obviously, he can go to IPAD if 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 there's a complaint in general about the conduct and the way police are dealing with cases. This is the way he said, um, and the guy that did this to me is just walking around. So I wanted to know whether he knew who the person was, because that would make it even worse for him Absolutely. knowing who it is and the police aren't following it Absolutely. up. Absolutely. But there have been so many complaints about police not following up with cases. Mm. And I think, you know, the public must know they've got the right to go and see, you know, the commission of the police station, the monas, the prosecutors, or even go beyond this provi- provincial commissioners and the various, uh, you know, higher ranking police officers, as it were, that they can approach to, to lodge their co- complaint because you can't have you know, people walking around when they've committed a crime. And he's got a case number. So that's already a good yes, start because yes. there have been a number of stories where people aren't even getting case numbers. So yes, he's got that as something to go on with. Yes. So there is a record of his complaint. Absolutely. And he can. he's quite entitled to take it further himself. Of course he can. Mm. He can also approach a lawyer if he wants to. I'm not here pushing no, the absolutely. case for lawyers. But, <laughs> but I think, you know, sometimes people must know. Lawyers aren't just out there to kind of, you know, defend people who are arrested, mm. but also for complainants to make sure that their cases get heard speedily because you know the longer it takes to have somebody arrested and a case come to court i think the more more problematic it can be well it's like our first our first email we read out it's been 10 years then other people that were witnesses have disappeared yes, of so course. that that will happen in every case Absolutely. so you know try to get it resolved as soon as possible don't yes. leave it because that that will affect you mm. know the memory memory fades and will affect how how successfully the case is prosecuted so people must know they mustn't leave things like the lady with a with the dog, I was about yeah, to ask, yes. you know, what kind of dog it was. Oh, I think it could, it could have been important for an appeal. Yes. I mean, if it was a border collie, they wouldn't obviously attack anyone. No. So, um, you know, and it's unfortunate that, that people mm. do leave these things and don't immediately seek legal advice. Right, do so. that immediately. A phone call, a consultation with a lawyer doesn't cost a, a lot. And you can always come to an agreed fee on, on, on the consultation and for a lawyer to do cases. My stock phrase on this program is don't leave it. It, it comes up every month with Michael Bagram. William's telling you the same thing. Anything yes. happens, do not leave it.
Well, my thanks once again this evening to criminal law attorney William Booth, practising here in Cape Town. He's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report programme. William, once again, thank you very much indeed for your time. Thank you. It's been great. We'll have to see you soon. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> the Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And just a reminder, there's available documents, Facebook page, Law on SAFM, or email me, law at safm.co.za. Next week's programme, Nicolene Skumanlo will be here from Monthly Law Clinic. That's Monday the 18th of May next week. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with our monthly health matters phone in and this month i'll be joined by dr johan bluchnote and we'll be talking about new treatments for varicose veins so join me then